Welcome again to the Developer Tribe and a big thank you to everyone who has reached out with feedback this week. This podcast delves into the processes and practices of coaches, educators and beyond, offering us their insight and giving us cause to reflect. Thank you for being here, however you got here. And with that, let's jump in. My guest today is Rob Bailey, sports coach and mentor. I met Rob during my time as a student at the University of South Wales and unfortunately didn't have the chance to play for him. What struck me about all those I spoke to that had been on his teams is just how much they respected him. Following a career as a store manager with WH Smith, Rob took the plunge to retrain as a coach and mentor, later setting up his own business, Top 2 Inches Solutions, and there are many, myself included, that are glad that he did. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Rob to the pod. How are you today, Rob? Yeah, well, good, thanks. You? Yeah, very well, thanks. Glad to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, I wanted to start by talking about your coaching. I think you and I see fairly eye to eye on the coaching front. We've had conversations before about use of conditioned games, principles of the constraints-led approach, amongst other underpinnings to your practice. Having such experience, how did you come to your understanding of your current style of coaching? Um, I've always tried to coach in a way that um, is player-centered. I, mean, I know it's the kind of flavor of the month currently, but I've always tried to coach w- with my mindset being, if I was a player, how would I feel in a session? Would I get anything out of this session? And I've always worked in environments where um, I've had players for maybe an hour and a half two hours maximum a week. So I worked out very, very quickly that everything that I'd had to do in the sessions would have to drop and drag into game day. So um, that's where it started me thinking that way. And then I got influenced very quickly um, by guys like Gary Kinnean and Ray Power who have put the the kind of um, their thoughts on things. So what I was thinking, I was a bit strange, not doing drills endlessly. Gary Kinney, bless him, um, showed me some light. And, and I've, I've used that, that approach pretty much ever since because it helps so much. I mean, you see players problem solving and you know every, every player from, from four to, to 54 once, once a game. Uh, so if they're, if, they're, if they're learning inside the environment, then they're going to buy into it a lot more. I hear that and I think it's an important distinction to make. certainly see plenty of discussions on Twitter around the relative advantages and limitations of opposed and unopposed work depending on your context. As you said, one of the biggest constraints to the chosen approach has to be the time that you have available. If you're working with players day in, day out, then perhaps there is more room for the more unopposed work. In your mentoring relationships, how much do you draw on your practical knowledge and experience to support those? Um, an awful lot. Um, because, I mean, once you get to a certain age, you sort of get a certain degree of experience in life and you come across certain hurdles. So um, in, in some of my relationships where I'm working perhaps with, you know, with coaches, I can, I can uh, help with you know, some experience. But... I tend to find with the mentoring side of things, coaching mentoring is that there are a few few crossovers, but it's it's more about you know asking asking you know good good questions and just trying to um, think on my feet a little bit and you know, asking good questions and also 
making sure that you don't miss any nuggets. I mean, it's a bit like observation skills in coaching. You know, I, I quite like the constraints thing. Another reason why I like it is that I can, I can sit back and watch it unfold rather than be in the center of what's going on. The mentoring that I do is holistic and it's very, very similar. I just like ask a question, sit back and just wait for things to unfold in front of me. And it took me a long time to work out the difference between listening to reply and listening to understand. You know, because you feel, you know, when you get involved in mentoring, it's because you want to help people. It's the same thing as coaching me. You want to get players to get better. Likewise, that was my, my driver when getting involved in mentoring is that, you know, can I help people be their best self? So, stuff myself jumping in to, to just to reply was massive for me. Yeah, and in that sense, do you consider yourself to be a facilitator in that role? That it's more of a co-directed relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if, if I thought in the coaching environment or the mentoring environment, if I thought that I was that I was directing anybody, then that would go against the grain of everything I think. I mean, I like to make sure that the players think for themselves. I mean, that's why there's so much problem solving you know, in all my sessions. If you look at it, well, you see my sessions. If, if you look at my sessions, there's more planning goes into before the session to make sure that I get all the outcomes I want in the session, but it's driven by the players making lots of mistakes, solving problems, and and just you know, ha- having to fix things for themselves. It's the same thing with a mentoring relationship. Yeah, I, I do a thing where I sit down with most mentees in the early stages and I'll have a bit of paper, A4, and we're sat opposite each other and I'll write a six and I'll ask the other person what they think it is. And it's a nine, obviously, because they're looking from the other direction. I said, my role is to try and encourage you to look at things from as many different perspectives as possible. Because we could argue all day and both be right. I say six, you'd say nine. And if we didn't give or try and see that other person's perspective, we wouldn't get anywhere. I said, my job is to make sure that we get somewhere. You know, so that's the kind of thing that I try and drive at. Yeah, that's a lovely beginning to your relationship with the mentees that I'm sure puts them at ease. I know having been a coach mentor myself, sometimes you do come across people who are very reluctant to open up into the relationship, even if they've sought you out. Uh, what kinds of tools or strategies do you use to encourage the mentees to have those conversations with you? I tend to ask questions because not all coaches, but some coaches can be quite defensive because they put a lot of time and effort into being as good as they can be. And when they get someone straight away, they sort of come in and offer maybe some, you know, you know some challenge and maybe sort of question why they're doing things in a certain way, it may be just to reinforce that they're doing something correct, but it's very easy to take offense. So I tend to use kind of baby steps and to find out a little bit around what they've done with the background, why they want a mentor and where they see the mentor relationship may be going. Because once you've got the kind of why, then you've, you've got their motivator. So if, you know, if they, you know, if they do, you know, tend to struggle with, you know, some, you know, you know, some challenge, because I try not to tell anybody what to do. I just more question and say, like, you know, had you thought about maybe this, that, something different, and maybe get them through my questioning, they work out their own answer. Because you know, it's like in football. If, if you tell a player, 
25 times how to do a certain thing, you'll tell him 26 times. But if you create an environment, which is, I think, the key to anything with coach or mentoring is having the right environment where they feel safe, where they can make mistakes, spill their guts, uh, you know, whatever else, then they're not so scared about making that step. Yeah, it reminds me of the phrase of meeting them where they are at, finding out what their motivations are, as you said, and why they've sought you out. I wanted to ask you next, as it's personal to me, but also I speak to a lot of young coaches and it's a problem they are facing at the moment. With there being such a jump for you from being a store manager into what was quite a precarious lifestyle, loads of part-time jobs to make ends meet, I know a lot of coaches can attest to that lifestyle. Yeah. Do you have any advice for predominantly younger coaches who are going through the process at the moment of packaging a salary and a career together? I'd say lots. Um, the key for me was um, I've always considered myself to be a constant learner. I don't, you know, I I won't do a coach education course and then that be it. You know, I I don't collect qualifications because I see the formal qualifications being the kind of the start point for my learning. I mean, when, once I complete my B license, I don't really think I was a B license coach for two or three years, maybe after that, because you kind of grow into the, you know, you, you kind of grow into the qualification and you get better. I would certainly say volunteer. You know, as, as challenging as that may be, if you're trying to earn a living, uh, what I did was I volunteered to put myself into spaces where, if I was looking for paid work in those spaces, I'd have never made the contacts that I made. I mean, I've come across informal mentors that have been right the way through um, coaching and mentoring. I've come across fantastic people in a voluntary capacity. So I've managed to pick their brains and to see their practice and how they work. And also look, look to build a network, reach out to people. You know, if you, you know the amount of people I've come across um, where I've just contacted them and said, Look, can I come and watch some of your sessions? I you know, heard a lot of good things about you as a coach. Can I come and pick your brains? And the amount of people at the top end of the tree that respond to that is absolutely incredible. And even, even things on, on Twitter, you know, you can, you can, you know, people can tr- criticize social media, and Twitter can be a bit of a feeding ground for arguments and that kind of thing. But I found it a great social networking tool you know I've, I've come into contact with guys like gary canin ray power um a guy called focus Connolly. um would never have come across him you know before had conversations like we've known each other for years and years and years just on random topics uh, on the back of reading his books and saying i really enjoyed your book next thing i know i've got a direct message saying that you know anything you want reach out i'm thinking wow you know so you know you can reach out to these people. You know, they're not, you know, they, they, they breathe, they've got two arms and two legs. You know, they're the same as us. So, you know, you know and, and most of them are dying for the opportunity to share their expertise with someone. So, yeah, you know, and don't stop learning is the key. Because I think a lot of young coaches that I see, they, they, they get to, to, a, to a good place where they've got some intern work or whatever else based with, like you still we saw it, guys that have been interns at Cardiff City, they think they've made it. And we've all met them. You know, use, use, you know, grasp the opportunity because there's plenty out there. That's really important information. Thank you. And I, I totally agree with you around networking on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
I've recently moved to Scotland and I already had a network of four or five people that I knew I could reach out to, speak to about Scottish football, academia, before I even arrived here. So it's a, a wonderful resource. On top of that, my master's research recently, three or four of the coaches who were kind in offering their time on it, I met through LinkedIn. I've never seen them face to face. Obviously, in the current climate as well, we're getting used to socialising via online platforms. Given that, and it's so difficult for everyone involved in sports, and team sports particularly, is struggling with not being able to get together. Mentoring is something that might be seen by a lot of people as a, a luxury they can't afford at the moment even though arguably it's something that is even more important. What do you see as being the major benefits to a mentoring relationship? It, it helps you to be the best you can be, uh, without a doubt, because, I mean, I, without being involved in the mentoring process, I was lucky enough to be involved in Sport Affiliate when they offered it out as a service to all the community coaches. And being quite open-minded to, to most things, to try and make myself as good as I can be, I thought, okay, I've gone on to the first week, let's see how we go. Uh, the chap I sat down with, uh, is my, he's still my mentor now, we don't meet as much, but he's um, a chief superintendent, a retired police officer, level four rugby coach, that knew nothing about football whatsoever. Um, and my initial reaction was, okay, he's a nice fella, but how is it going to help me be a better football coach? Well, it's, it's holistic-based. So, you know, he was looking at, he challenged my practices, asking why, you know, what's my plan, what, what next? We sat down and asked lots of questions, and, and me being open to challenge, it, it turned my world upside down. You know, I was, you know, learning how to say no, all those kind of things. So he sat down with me and built a relationship based on um, him wanting to make me the best version of rugby that I can be, not a version of him, which is key to be think as well, because a lot, a lot of people see mentoring as being, you're being directed. In the, but in, in, the, in the style of mentoring that I'm involved in, it's more holistic. So if I'm trying to build a better coach, I'm looking to build a better person first because you can't separate the coach and the person. And an awful lot of things that are getting in the way of making a better coach are often personal stuff and things that work and time management, those kind of things. So people people need the resource. I mean, what I would say is that the most difficult thing with mentoring is trying to find one because um, there's not that many out there. I mean, I've been lucky enough where I've come across a lot of informal mentors, as, as we all do. There's all, you know, coaches, teachers, parents that, that work as mentors right throughout our life. But finding a mentor... I would, I would say it's too expensive not to get one because the amount of, not shortcuts, but the way that you can get to where you want to be quicker by having someone that's going to ask you the right questions, think about what you're saying to them and turn it around a little bit and challenge your best practice and say, okay, if that's how you do things, you know, can you do things better? And in the current climate, I mean, to about building back better and doing differently. I, mean, I never for one second thought that I'd be having a mentoring meeting via Zoom, via Teams, via whatever else I've done in the last six months. But you do because you've got to do things differently. And I think the danger is when we get to a certain age, most of the time it's kind of, you know, in your kind of 30s, you've, you're fairly secure in what you know. But, you know, is that it? You know, is that as good as you can be? You know, is, is there something else that's, you know, in your locker? And the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm living proof that mentoring works because I was 
doing f four separate part-time jobs, going round and round in circles, you know, and just getting nowhere, thinking I was doing the right things, but wasn't because it, I wasn't helping myself. I was getting in my own way of, of being a, as successful as I could be. But now, self-employed the last five, six years, we're top 20 years, and bouncing into every single day with, you know, coaching and mentoring. I mean, it's, it's ideal. And without Gareth, my mentor, I, I would not, be sat having a conversation with you right now. Yeah, thank you for sharing that lived experience. Tell us more about Top Two Inches Solutions, why you chose that name, and what you do. It's well, I was pretty much. Um, I I worked at USW, you know, for a couple of years, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm sort of not doing too too badly with that, and. So, Bit by bit, I realised that that coaching was never going to be just coaching; was going to be my career path. And I, I, I started to get involved as a mentee with um, with mentoring, and then I, I went on mentoring courses and started working in a voluntary capacity with some of the students at the University of South Wales, uh, mostly third year students, helping them with their what happens next because they've their, their plan went as far as their dissertation then stopped. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Um, so that it got me thinking. Okay, you know, my pathway is just going off at a slight angle. Um, it's time I did things legitimately and just went for it. Because if I don't, I will always regret not giving it a try. So just sat thinking about what a name could be. And my wife said, "Why do you call it Top Two Inches?" So what do you mean? I said, "Well, she said, it's a phrase you use in coaching all the time because I try and get players to think for themselves." I said the most important part of your body, as far as I'm concerned, is the top two inches because that's where the thinking is done. And you thought, right, great, that's that's a sticker because that sums up me pretty much in you know in in, in how I come across with my coach and my mentoring. So top two inches it was, and it's kind of uh, stuck. And it seems to go down quite quite well. Um, being involved in environments that I'm in is absolutely fantastic because I'm I'm involved in. Uh, local authorities, universities, we're doing some work uh, currently with the crime prevention teams up in Torvine. So I've got a good mix of people that I'm dealing with. I mean, and essentially I'm I'm catching people at, at transitional periods because, you know, that's, that's where the most success, if I'm honest, comes out of mentoring. When people are at a transition point, if you, I'm meeting someone that's in the middle of A-levels that's planning university, or if, if I've got someone that's at university trying to plan, okay, what next? And you've got guys that you meet that are, you know, perhaps in their 30s that have maybe hit a glass ceiling like I did. So you know, okay, I'm, I'm stuck here. I'm not going to go any further down this path. What's, what's my options? So I've, I found that's, that's been massively you know, beneficial for people I work with. I mean, and the feedback has been fantastic. So, you know, and I've not had anyone bail on me yet. So, you know, you know, that's, that's always a good thing. You know, when you, as a coach, you say that if you've got some hot, sweaty faces that are smiling out of a, out of a training session, you're doing things right. If you've got someone that's going to come back and pay for your services, then you know you're doing something right. And I purposely don't advertise for that reason because I, I want what I do to travel by, by word of mouth. Because if, if somebody that I've worked with speaks to someone else and says, oh, actually, I'd have a chat with this fella, then I see that as a better form of advertising. And I'm quite happy to generically grow 
top two inches as I've done in the last five six years to a point where you know it's 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 not getting too much that's interesting I, I guess then those people that actually do engage with you to start a relationship they're already on a positive front about it as well which I'm sure means that the relationship can flourish quicker into a positive space absolutely because I mean, if you're told because you know one of the kind of pitfalls to mentoring is when you get leaders in any kind of environment that are well-intentioned but perhaps don't phrase things in the right way if you tell someone that you're this, this working for you you have some mentoring you are straight away you get defensive so you know it, it all depends you know if if the provision is offered that's that's why i try not to run it down people's throats you know if it's something that's offered i put out there people choose to take you up on the offer you save you save two people an awful lot of time because there's an awful lot of people out there that actually need mentoring that will never be open to it because of their mindset what can that guy tell me that's really interesting and there's been a couple of people i've spoken to on this podcast already about being in those positions within an institution whether that's a school an academy whatever organization and having that position where you are there to help others and mentor them but it's organized in such a way that it's formalized and as a result of that you have to get past this idea of almost being surveilled before you can start to have a positive relationship with these people have you come across issues like that when you've gone into organizations as a mentor Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the first thing you think, especially on on the coach mentoring front, where um, I try to initially build a relationship with the people that I'm working with first. But I was when I first started uh, working with a coach mentoring front, I said that I'd offer holistic mentoring, and also I'd come in and view sessions to give support on a coaching front. I first started it and, and learned a lesson the hard way, going in quite early, saying, like, "Okay." I'll meet you at so-and-so day. I'll come and watch one of your sessions. Then we'll have a little, you know, a little chat afterwards. The panic and fear that that put into people was that they've got this super coach coming to watch what they were doing, and they were going to tear apart their their practice and all that kind of thing. Was it, it it put barriers up straight away and 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 made my work an awful lot harder than it needed to be. So I always try and make sure that before I I give any kind of uh, feedback on on coaching practice, whatever else. I, I take time to build the relationship with the person that I'm working with first, so they can, you know, I perhaps generally give everyone that I work with a few easy wins. You know, I, you know, you try not to spoon for anybody because it just teaches you the shape of the spoon. But if um, you can give them a few nuggets to try and think, up, you know, buy into the process and just see, get some easy wins. Because if someone's struggling with deadlines, you think, okay. Let's work in time management. You know, let's, let's get this, this, this in place and set some priorities. Those kind of things. So if you've got someone on side straight away and they start to trust in some of the things I'm telling them, and then I say, okay, that's the background stuff. Let's have, have a look at your coaching process. It's not an assessment. I'm not going to critique it. All I'm going to have a conversation afterwards is the three things that most of us do after a session is what do you think about well? What didn't go so well, and what would you do differently? I said that's going to be the whole basis of our conversation afterwards, and that's it. I'm not going to jump in and stop your session. You know, if you've got 15 kids queuing to have shots at goal, I'll, 
I'm not going to stop it. I may have a conversation with you afterwards about it, but I'm not going to stop it and, and, and let them do their thing because they've, they've got to make their own mistakes and, and, and learn their own way and not be a clone of what I am. But certainly there's, there's, uh, there's, there's ways that you can cause yourself more problems than, than, than not in coach, men, in coach mentoring in particular, but certainly in mentoring by, by making too many rushed decisions. I mean, so you know, things should be forced. You know, and it's it's almost like um, the first session or two sessions. All I focus on is building rapport, finding out a bit of background. I, I try and not find out about anybody that I'm going to meet prior, so I've got any preconceived ideas. You know, it's just having having conversations. So if someone has got reservations about you're getting mentoring, mate, then then they can actually see that it's not quite as daunting. And it's not me pointing them in, in, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, got to do the other. It's a conversation to try and get to know them because that's where it's all centred. It's centred on them. If, if I thought that I was the most important person in the whole mentoring process or even the coaching process, I would be devastated. Some really valuable points in there. And I wanted to cycle back to that idea of delaying your feedback with people, whether that's one-to-one or maybe in an in-situ observation. In my research into social-emotional competency development, which became part of my MSc dissertation, I came across an idea of skillful neglect from an author, Labette, around teaching practice. And the idea is that it's a positive thing. The ability to skillfully decide to pause, not say anything, park that until later, when the feedback might have a more positive outcome, but also that... I'm now giving that person that I'm working with an opportunity, a chance to self-regulate and to make their own decisions. It sounds like that is a, a big part of your practice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I tend to um, do that an awful lot. I mean, you tend to you know, park things purely because, I mean, there's, you know, there are some things you'll get a kind of nugget that will come out in conversation or perhaps even something that's not said because you know you, you get quite good at, at, at facial recognition. I mean, not so much as kind of the crossed arms body language, but but you know the, the face generally doesn't do an awful lot of lying. So this, if we have a conversation and you see the kind of shutters coming down, you think, okay, I'll I'll make a note of that because that's something that's got to be addressed at some point. But it's not going to be helpful doing that right now. So let's you know because I do a thing. Um, based on the wheel of life, where I get to someone that's got maybe sort of eight spokes on it, where they can put different areas of their of their whole life on a wheel and mark themselves, not about how good they are, but how, how they feel about that certain area. It's just a kind of snapshot. So it's a good guide when you first meet someone about, because sometimes they've got a view about where they want to go, but it's not always where they need to go. So if someone's marked himself as a kind of three out of 10, you think, okay, that's what needs to be addressed, but I'll tend to work at the sevens out of 10 because once you get someone talking about themselves, they open up a little bit. So it's a bit of a kind of trick with there. So there's an awful lot of things like that where I'll choose where to go initially to get someone talking, which may not be beneficial in a mentoring process long-term. It just gets them talking because they don't need to really have much of a conversation about their sevens and eights out of ten. Generally, it's more the kind of threes, threes and fours out of ten that need a bit of support to get where they want to be. So certainly, I mean, uh, I tend to park things 
and I'll make notes, but I don't like looking down because you see the top of a bald head as you're, as you're having a conversation. It's not very good at when you're trying to build a report with someone. So I tend to scribble notes a bit like doctor's writing. So I'll get kind of little bullet points that'll come out and I'll kind of, if I hear a kind of keyword or, or, a, or a phrase or, or, or something, I'll just put it in capitals, circle it, and leave it be. And I may not come back to that maybe for two or three sessions. You know, until I feel that the, the person that I'm dealing with is, is either overcome that themselves because, you know, I sort of catch up every session, but they may be ready further on down the line once they know me a bit better because people don't ever trust you straight away. You're not, you're not going to spill their guts about your deepest, darkest secrets to anybody. And it's, and it's, you know, it's a key thing as well is that a lot of guys don't see that mentoring should be an offline relationship as well. How do you mean offline? Because, well, if you've got, say, uh, your immediate superior, just say that you're working, uh, there's a, a head coach, is mentoring his assistant coaches, not always a good place to do that. Because if someone is kind of struggling, it may be they're struggling because the head coach is less than helpful. Because we've come across one of the two of those in our past. But the, 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 be fine that. So, you know, in any kind of mentoring process, you've got to be able to speak your mind and to be do it without, without any kind of fears of, of retribution because I'm totally unbiased and, uh, you know, I have no bearing on what happens. You know, if this person goes on to make millions of pounds or doesn't, doesn't matter to me at all, you know, all I want is that person to get the best out of the relationships. I mean, so if I'm advising someone, look, you shouldn't be working in this place. Because you know the blockage you've got is your is your boss. It's never going to change. Yeah. You know, so they may decide after mentoring with me that they want to go and work somewhere else. So if they see their boss in a line management, are they going to tell them that kind of stuff? Are you going to tell someone you're really really struggling if this guy is in control of your promotion for the next twenty years? So you've got so many blockages for that. So. People sort of mis misread mentoring as being, you know, that. Yes, they're helping develop their staff. You know, managers work with their staff to develop them. I would argue that they're mentoring them. I like the distinction you've made there. There's a, a difference between those two relationships, a distance that needs to be present with a mentor from your professional environment. Yeah. It's the same thing with you know, with you know, with you know coaching mentoring where there's a lot of overlay. You know, coaching has, has generally got a definitive outcome. You're looking to make someone a better footballer or a better whatever. With mentoring, you're working with you know the whole person rather than being a certain part of that person. You know, so it's a bit more. You know, there's, there's a there's a you know it's differences and similarities. And I suppose that's the point of this holistic process. Is there more to that that you can break down for us as to what that process looks like? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's been a blank canvas, if you like. I mean, I, you know, I, I mentioned it a few times. The, the key to it is kind of building rapport and to find out a lot about what the person is looking for, but also looking at, things like the you know their kind of values and their drivers because once people can sit and work that kind of stuff out every other decision that they make 
becomes very, very easy. I mean, I, I did a lot of work with my mentor initially, um, you know, and around values. Now, uh, I was working in sort of coaching and youth work at the time. I'm thinking, okay, values, where, where's this going with, with values? And he said, like he said, trust me, he said, you know, if you look at your whys about what motivates you and just, you know, why do you do this role? And I and like most people, if you're asked about what your values are, you get the kind of top level kind of kind of stuff. And the good thing about my mentor was that he didn't let me off the hook. He said, he said, yeah. It's a, he said, you haven't done enough on that. He said, you know, you've, you've really got to look a bit deeper than that. He said, just dig, dig. And I did it. And he said, I want you to come out with a kind of a three or four word phrase about if you said this, they would go, yeah, that's you. So it took me about two or three weeks sort of, you know, in between meetings to try and get this. And I finally nailed it, making a difference. Now, if, if I can... If I can quantify that in anything I do, it ticks my boxes, it motivates me. So if you're coaching, mentoring, doing whatever I'm doing, as long as I can see that I'm making a difference, then nothing else matters. I mean, you know, I can do a voluntary paid, whatever. That's not the motivator. The motivator is our making a difference. And that's probably where holistic stuff really comes from. You're looking at the kind of the stuff that's in, inside you to try and develop develop that because I don't think sometimes we really do it enough. We get into routines and habits that think we think serve ourselves well, but how well do we challenge those habits and routines? You know, my the least favorite phrase that I've got is I've always done it this way. You know, great, okay, that might have served you to a point by doing it this way, but you know, can you do it? Differently, can you do it better? Can you, you know, so it's, it's it's those questions. So that's that's why I can work with a bank manager or a, or a football coach or a, or a teacher or whatever else. It wouldn't matter what environment I'm working in because I'm open to trying to develop the person. Because once you've got those kind of core drivers and that kind of thing going on, and things like their time management and things like you know all those kind of stress management, even those kind of things. Once the, once you've got those things in place, people make better informed decisions and then they find their own path after that you know it's, it's, it's a bit like um there's a lad that i come across um play football for me at the university uh we, we both know him uh, and you'll pick up from who it is as i'm talking about it he played for me for, you know, for one season an absolute monster in midfield and was always going to be very very good at whatever he's done and I unofficially mentored him and then I mentored him uh, when he started doing uh, one of the roles at the university. And we sat down and we did an awful lot of this holistic work about values and core drivers. And he was offered two different job roles. Uh, and it was torn between, between the two because one uh, was, was half the money of the other one. So natural choices is, is people, especially probably younger people, will go, I'm going where the money is. But because we've done some work on his, his key drivers and, and what, his, his, what motivated him, he chose the one for, for half the money. And I said, I said, you know, I said, I personally, I said, I, your choice. I said, but I think that's, that's the absolute right choice for you because you look at the job descriptions and highlight the bits that motivate you and the bits that don't. I said, it, it sorts itself out. 
So fast forward five years, he's top of the tree earning scary money in in the environment where you know he's you know taking over pretty much the place where he went in at a junior level because he was motivated and you know all the drivers tick boxes so he was straight away in a place where where all, all of us should want to be a place where we're good at the job and we enjoy the job and that's our motivators and then everything else that comes with it comes with it brilliant that move from a self-preservation point of view to one that is more self-motivating that sounds really positive if anyone that is listening is perhaps looking at becoming a mentor themselves or is thinking about offering their expertise and trying to use their practical knowledge to become a mentor in their field how would you start that journey if you were to do it all over again Uh, you know i think it's I'll be brutally honest, I was very, very lucky to be surrounded by good people and was in the right place at the right time because unfortunately, as much as we've discussed briefly earlier, as much as mentoring is 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 needed and it should be available for everybody, it's rare to be able to access because there's very few courses out there. For it, I was lucky enough to to have done my course through the University of South Wales, who, who provided it uh, to provide a series of mentors initially to help the students. So that's where my initial training came from. But there's not an awful lot of training, but I would certainly seek it out. Um, unfortunately, the FA have shut down their, their coach mentoring program, which yeah, it's one of those things where if you're a little bit short sighted, I'm not suggesting the FA is short sighted by any stretch of imagination, but, uh, but it sometimes it's classed as being the kind of thing that you can save money on by not having it. It's a nice to do when I think people that have perhaps been through the process um, realize that no, actually it's an absolute essential to make sure that, that someone has got the opportunity to be the best they can be. So I think it's an easy, easy thing to just kind of to uh, save money on in the way that a lot of places have done. Um, Seek out a course, seek out, uh, you know, try and find a mentor, even if it's someone that's an unofficial mentor. I mean, I've come across a bunch of guys probably 10 years prior to getting my my kind of official mentor, if you like, that gave me guidance on, on, on coaching. Just you know, showed me where I was going wrong and just, you know, just let me observe the practice, help me with bits and pieces. There's, there's, there's people out there. So it's a case of... Um, be brave enough to have what you do challenged would be my advice. You know, because you know it'll it'll serve you well. You know, if you if you if you carry on with a certain pathway, you know, embrace that somebody's showing you something different. Brilliant, Rob. Thank you so much for your time today. So many valuable nuggets to the conversation. I hope we have some listeners now considering finding their own mentor whether that's formal or informal, and perhaps some that would consider becoming mentors themselves. I know you spoke about not wanting to advertise, but for anyone that would want to reach out, what's the best way to find you? Uh, I'm on um, Twitter at, at top 2 inches Solutions. So you can contact me, you know, me there, and that's probably the best way, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if people want to, on the back of this, want to reach out and have a, a conversation, more than happy to have a conversation with someone and maybe point in the right direction and um, 
okay, not to have a business, but I'm quite happy to, you know, I've, I've been lucky where guys like Gary Kinnean, uh, Ray Power, and Focus Colony have, have kind of helped me without any desire for me giving anything back to them. So, you know, I think I'm at the, the point where, you know, I'd like to do likewise. I mean, if I can help someone in some small way, by putting them in the right direction, then that would make me happy. That's wonderful, Rob. Thank you so much for offering that out, and I hope people will take you up on it. Thank you again. A pleasure to have you on the pod. Absolute pleasure. And of course, welcome to the tribe. Yeah, cheers. Good to speak to you. That's it for this week in episode six. My thanks to Rob for his time and openness to share with us today. You can contact us via email at thedevelopertribe at gmail.com. We have Facebook and LinkedIn pages where you can keep up to date with future pods and developments. The music you are listening to is by BB Phoenix. Thank you for being here and look forward to having you with us at the tribe again soon.